Over the course of the next uh, few weeks, I want to take some time to look at 1 John and to examine what it has to say to us as, as believers today. But by way of introduction, let me say, first of all, that the epistle was written, obviously, by the Apostle John. His father was Zebedee and his brother James. And speaking about the call of James and John to ministry, Matthew chapter 4, verse 21 says this about Jesus. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And so we understand from this that John was a fisherman by trade and worked in his family business. And Jesus met him while they were fishing and called both he and his brother James to follow after him. And, and John and James both left everything to follow after Jesus. Now, according to Mark chapter 1, verse 20, their fishing business seemed to be doing quite well. And we read Mark chapter 1, verse 20, and immediately he called them, that's Jesus called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed after him. And notice particularly that they had hired servants that were working with them. And so John was likely from a relatively comfortable background. But while Jesus, when Jesus called him to follow after him, he does not hesitate to leave everything behind to follow after Jesus. John would become one of Jesus' closest disciples. And he's often found with Peter and James alone with Jesus. We read, for example, uh, in Mark chapter 5 and verse 37, speaking about Jesus, and he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And reading also in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 1 about Jesus, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And so Peter, James, and John were especially close to Jesus. After Jesus rose from the dead, John, of course, worked with Peter for some time. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 1, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. We see them together as they, they worship together and as they minister together. John, of course, writes two other short epistles in the, in the Bible, 2 John and 3 John. He also wrote the account of uh, the life of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And, of course, he is also the author of the book of Revelation. And when he wrote the book of Revelation, he was in exile on the island of Patmos, where he would live in isolation. He was sent there because of his preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And John knew what it was like to be persecuted for his faith. Now, John states the reason why he writes this letter in uh, chapter 5 and verse 13 of his, uh, of his epistle, when he writes this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. He states the reason here, that the readers might believe in the name of the Son of God, 
and that they may know that they have eternal life in him. John's heart is to communicate about Jesus Christ and to give those who had heard about Jesus the assurance that they were truly his disciples and were assured of eternal life in him. Now let me read 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Reading from the English Standard Version, we read, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon with our, and, and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify it to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that your joy may be complete. Notice as we begin that John introduces us to someone called the Word of Life. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the Word of Life. He does the same in the Gospel as he introduces us to the Word that became flesh. Now, let's take a moment to consider what John tells us about this word of life. And the first thing we need to see here is that this word, according to John, was from the beginning, that which was from the beginning. And in his gospel, John tells us that the world was created by the word. He also tells us that that word was God. And before anything else existed, this word of life existed. And he calls the word of life, he calls it the word of life because he is the source of all life. And we can trace all life back to this word of life who always existed and to whom all of us owe our existence. And so we find that this word of life that John begins his epistle with speaking about is from the beginning. But secondly, notice what John tells us, that this word was heard, seen, looked at, and touched. That which we have was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Now, in the Old Testament, God was inapproachable by sinners. And we, we see here, however, that the one who is from the beginning the word of life, the word that John describes in the gospel as being God, this word who created the world is heard, is seen, is looked upon, 
it's is touched and and we see clearly that this is a reference to the Lord Jesus who who took on flesh. Now, generally speaking, we don't hear the audible voice of God. We do not see God with our eyes, nor can we touch God with our hands. But all of that changed in the person of Jesus Christ. He becomes God in the flesh. He, he preached to those who heard his physical voice. And the people of its day saw him with their own hands, their, their own eyes, rather. They, they literally touched him with their hands, and he lived among them, the word of life, the author and the source of all life, comes to live among us, takes on human form, and walks among us, and talks to us. That is an incredible reality that the very Creator God, the one to whom we owe everything, now takes on flesh and lives among us. Listen to John's words here. And I'm going ahead of myself here as I say this, but it's important to the point. In verse 1, he says this, We have heard this living word. We have seen him with our eyes, verse 1. We have looked upon him, verse 1. Our hands have touched him, verse 1. The the life appeared to us, in verse 2. We have seen it, in verse 2. We proclaim what we have seen and heard, in verse 3. You you can't miss what John is saying here. He is conveying absolute certainty here. Seven times in these first three verses, he speaks about how they witnessed this word of life appeared to them. It, it, it's, it's like he's so excited about this and the certainty and the reality of this that, that he has to tell it over and over again, seven times in those first few verses. So excited to tell us about the word of life that he saw and he heard with his own eyes. The point is this. There can be no doubt in the mind of John as to what he saw and to what he testifies to. This Jesus was from the beginning. He was God, and he lived and dwelt among us. Now, there's another point worth mentioning here in this context. Notice that John tells us that he both saw the Lord and also looked upon him. Now, the word used for looked upon in the Greek language carries with it a sense of contemplating and implies a a more careful examination. In other words, John not only saw the Lord Jesus, but he examined his life, his words, his actions carefully and testifies that he found him to be everything that he declared himself to be. Now, notice as we move into verse 2, that this word, according to John, is the source of eternal life. Verse 2 says this, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. 
In other words, the word of life was revealed to the apostles. He came and lived among them. And after seeing him, and after hearing him, and after examining his his life and his word, the apostles come to an absolute and firm conviction. We have seen, they said, and testify to it, and proclaim to you that the eternal life which was with the Father was made manifest to us. We have seen the one who is the source of eternal life. The Lord Jesus, the word of life, is not only the source of physical life, but also the source of eternal life. And anyone who wants to know this eternal life, according to the apostles and what they have seen and heard and testified to, must find it in the Lord Jesus. This life is not found in anyone or any other name but his. There is no other creator of the world, and there is no other Savior. This is the message that John wants us to hear. He testifies that the word of life was from the very beginning, was God. He took on the form of a man and lived among us, and he is the source of eternal life for all who will believe in him. Now in verses 3 and 4, we see that John tells his readers why he is writing these things to them. And the first we read is in verse 3, which says this, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. He writes this, because it is in his heart that those who read this account would have fellowship with them in the Father and in the Son. In other words, that they would enter a relationship with the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ and join them as fellow worshipers and servants of this who was from the beginning, who is the source of eternal life, this one true God. There is an evangelistic thrust to John's message. His passion is to point people to this incredible Lord who became flesh, to help them to have the assurance of their salvation, and to encourage them in their fellowship with the church and with Jesus Christ and the Father. But the second reason for writing this letter is found in verse 4. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. John wants his his readers to experience the fullness of joy that he has experienced in this person of Jesus Christ. And there's no greater joy for the apostle than, than that people come to a personal and close relationship with the Lord Jesus. And this, the Christian life, according to John, is a life of joy. And many people don't experience this fullness and complete joy because their relationship with their Creator and Savior is not what it ought to be. But to know the Savior and to be assured of their relationship with Him is one of the most profound joys that this world can offer. There, there we, when we know Him, we know the forgiveness of our sin. When we know him, we, we know eternal life. When we know him, we understand our purpose in life. But we don't experience this joy, however, at times because all too often there are barriers and there are hindrance 
in this relationship with our Lord Jesus. And, and over the course of the, the next two chapters, the Apostle John is going to share with his readers four different hindrances to fellowship with the Lord and the joy he wants to give. But what's important for us to see here is the relationship that John has with the Lord Jesus. He writes this epistle to tell people about the Lord and his, and his ministry. It's like he can't hold in the excitement. He wants people to know the Savior and to experience his salvation. And, and, and you can't help but hear the excitement in his writing when he says, that which was from the beginning, the very God who created us, we saw him, we heard him, we carefully examined him, we touched him. The question that we ask ourselves is this, has your experience of the Lord Jesus been such that you just want to explode and tell others about him? Does your heart burn within you as you think of all the people who do not know what you know, who have never heard him, who have never seen him, who have never been touched by him, or have never experienced that incredible touch of God the Father, the Lord Jesus, the Spirit. Do you marvel at the fact that this one you have touched, who has touched you, is your creator? And I expect, I suspect that each and every one of us, as we will find it in our heart that, uh, find our hearts so hard at times still, but, but deep down inside, there is a longing within us to become more tender to his voice and to his touch. And I call each and every one of us now to open our hearts to the reality and the incredible reality of that fellowship with the Creator God. This is infinitely possible, and He comes to reveal Himself to you today. And the question is, will we cry out to Him today and say, Lord, may I know this touch? John tells us that what was from the beginning he experienced, and he writes his letter to call us to experience that fellowship as well, and to be to experience fullness of joy in that fellowship. God, may I know that touch. God, may I hear that voice. God, may I see you in every aspect of my life, that my joy may also be complete as I fellowship with you.